You're listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. My name is Matthew, and as your host, my mission is to help you discover who God is and what it means to live as a citizen of His kingdom. Greetings, Finchwood. Today we're wrapping up the first full season of the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast, which of course has been about the basics of Christianity. In this episode, I have some loose ends to wrap up, but first I also have a couple of announcements to make about the podcast itself. First of all, since this is the end of the season, I'll be taking a break for a couple of months to start researching and outlining the next season, which I hope to begin releasing sometime in the fall. The overall theme of that next season is going to be how-to. In other words, we're going to take a really practical look at the things we can do that keep us connected to God. So, how do you pray? How do you join and participate in the community we call the church? Things like that. So if you have any how-to questions, or if there's a topic you specifically want covered, please contact me as usual. I'm very excited about that next season, and I hope you are too. On a related note, I'm making a retroactive change to the numbers of the seasons. At the very beginning of this podcast, I recorded a few episodes like The Pilot, as well as an invitation to follow Jesus, and so forth. At the time, I really didn't think of those as an official season, so I uploaded them as season zero, and then this became season one. Doing it that way, however, apparently messed up the way that those episodes are listed in certain podcasting apps, so now I'm going back and designating those intro episodes as season one, which then makes this the end of season two, and therefore season three will begin in the fall. If that causes any confusion, I sincerely apologize, but at least from this point forward, we should have consistent season and episode numbering, so yay. The final announcement I have for you is that I'm starting a YouTube channel, which can serve as a supplement to this podcast. The format and structure of what I'm trying to do here is very intentional starting from the basics and then moving forward concept by concept to make disciples of Jesus in a somewhat orderly fashion. And I want to keep it that way. But on the other hand, I'm finding that some audience feedback doesn't fit anywhere in that structure, but they're still really great questions worthy of a response. Beyond that, there have been things going on in the world that could use a timely biblical perspective, and I need a place to host that sort of unstructured content. I may also have moments in future episodes of this podcast where the best way to explain something will be with a visual medium like a chart or some kind of picture, and of course a YouTube channel would be the natural place to do all of that as well. A link to the new Finchwood YouTube channel will be posted in the description of this episode, so if you're the YouTube viewing type, please go ahead and like and subscribe there. Now, wrapping up Season 2, which feels weird to say, but here we are, I want to clarify a few things from previous episodes. Some of these come from me listening to those episodes and thinking of things that I wanted to say differently, and some of them are due to audience feedback. Speaking of feedback, thank you so much to everyone who sent in comments and ideas. You're amazing, and I'm so grateful for you. So, first of all, I don't know if I really explained this during the episode on our mission, which is to make disciples, and the one on our empowerment by the Holy Spirit of God to carry out that mission, but I'd like to say that you don't have to become a super saint before you can be helpful. 
In fact, there are no super saints. We are all on the same road toward knowing and loving God with our full selves. That means each of us is responsible for helping everyone else along that road, regardless of whether they've been traveling it for a longer or shorter period of time. In practice, that also means that you not only have a right, but a duty to help people see any obstacles that they might be about to stumble over. With that being said, one Christian might very well have more experience than another, and it's perfectly natural and good, very good in fact, for believers to serve as mentors to those who are less experienced. Do whatever you can to find people who have traveled the road in front of you so that you can gain wisdom from their experiences. And also do whatever you can to help those coming up behind you. If at any point in the journey, you find that you're not involved in both of those exchanges in some way or another, it's likely that you're not currently growing as a Christian. Throughout this podcast, I've stressed the importance of relational community as part of our expression of Christianity. And this is a big reason why. One last time before the season ends, if you're not connected to a church and or a small group, get involved with one because you need other people to go on this journey with you. Another thing I'd like to clarify is the relationship between the Bible as the authority we base our beliefs on and other Christian literature such as the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanon. This principle was hinted at in episode 10 of this season, but looking back I'm finding I didn't really develop it the way I wanted to. The point here is that the canonical scriptures, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, are the ultimate authority and source of truth that we can trust. But all other literature can potentially hold nuggets of insight and wisdom from God. The early church fathers observed that at the end of the day, all truth is God's truth, which is why I'm a big fan of science, philosophy, literature from various sources, and yes, even religious texts outside of the Bible, such as the Apocrypha. However, I don't know that those religious texts, as uplifting as they can be, are any more authoritative than the works of theologians like Thomas Aquinas or Jürgen Moltmann, or for that matter the works of everyday Christians like you and me. My best recommendation here is that you should read, watch, or listen to all sorts of sources. The more diverse, the better. But always evaluate everything by using the Bible, the canon, as a measuring rod to determine what measures up and what doesn't. The goal of this exercise, in the words of my friend David, is to eat the meat and spit out the bones. If you do it right, what you'll find is that there's a lot of truth out there that the Bible agrees with. But there's a whole lot more that the Bible doesn't necessarily disagree with. That second category consists of things that are less essential for your faith, but they are no less true, and therefore they can still be very useful. Regarding truth claims that do contradict the Bible, my advice, first of all, is to make sure that they really do contradict the Bible instead of contradicting your particular interpretation of the Bible, because that happens to people a lot. Beyond that, my advice is not to worry too much about them. Be aware of their existence, and certainly understand the difference between what we believe and what others might believe. But the main goal here is to saturate yourself in what God says. God made you smart, and if you're a believer, he lives in you, so I think you'll do all right. One last thing is that there are a few theological points, doctrines, about who God is that I didn't quite get into a couple of episodes ago when I talked about our beliefs. 
When we start talking about God, trying to describe him, we theologians have a habit of throwing around lots of specialized Latin and Greek words that don't mean much to those outside of our community. Chief among those are the so-called omnis of God, that he is omniscient, omnipotent, and so forth. The bottom line of what we are trying to say in all of those descriptions is that God is infinite in every way. When we say that he is omniscient, we mean that he knows everything that there is to know. When we say that he is omnipotent, we are not just saying that he is the strongest being ever to exist. We are saying that he ultimately possesses all power and strength. Now sometimes people try to get into all of these mental and verbal gymnastics about the definitions of power versus ability, and can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it, or can he know something that isn't true, can he draw a square circle, and so forth. And I'm not really interested in that kind of gotcha theology, because it's more interested in wordplay than in actually describing God. Some of the other terms we use are that God is omnipresent and eternal, and those words mean very different things to different people. Some people mean that God is outside of time and space, like a painter who's making a masterpiece in four or more dimensions. But to him, all of time and space exist together in the same unchanging instant. I'm not sure that the Bible really says that. Maybe it does. But what I am sure it says is that God has always existed and always will exist, and that he's not subject to fickle changes of mood and personality. In other words, he's perfectly reliable, constant, and faithful in who he is and what he's like. Along the lines of that last point, there are two more words that you might frequently see listed as givens in our descriptions of God. Those are that he's both non-corporeal and impassable. In a nutshell, these theological points mean that God doesn't have a body, that he's not a physical being, and that he's not subject to emotions because, in some people's understanding, that would mean that he's subject to change. To once again quote the Westminster Catechism, the idea being stated here is that God is without a body, parts, or passions. These two points I'm really not sure about from a biblical perspective. First of all, God definitely does have feelings. The Bible talks about him experiencing grief, anger, joy, and a whole gamut of other emotions. He may also have a shape or form that's not entirely dissimilar from our own, because the Bible talks about him being seated on a throne and having eyes and hands and nostrils. For sure, all of that could just be poetic language, where the writers of scripture tried to grapple with and explain something that could never be fully explained. Or maybe we were spiritually and emotionally and physically made in God's image. To be honest, a lot of that has to do with Greek mythology in which the gods were aloof and disinterested in human affairs, separated from us up on Mount Olympus somewhere. The thing is that the God of the Bible isn't as distant as you might think. He's described as being both imminent and transcendent. In other words, all at the same time he's as close to us as we are to ourselves, and he's also far beyond anything that we can imagine. He's the king of the universe, but we also get to call him our father and our friend. He's the impartial judge of all the earth, and he's our advocate who extends mercy to anyone who asks for it. All of that, together, is who God is. 
With that, I've run out of things to tell you for now. So have a great rest of your summer, and I'll see you all in a few months. Once again, remember to submit your topics and questions for Season 3, which will be entitled How To. Also, please check out the Finchwood YouTube channel. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast, conversations for people who want to be more like Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe now and consider sharing it with your friends. For more information about this episode's topic or to continue the discussion, please consult the show notes. See you next time.